0: Good afternoon. Good to see you guys. Um, again, for those of you that might not know me, my name is AJ, uh, one of the elders here. I'm also the uh, proud head coach of a flag football team of my sons, the Vikings. And uh, unfortunately, I'm missing a game right now that they're playing. But I just heard that the bowl game is actually in two weeks, so I didn't miss the bowl game. So it's good news. Um, if you're new or if you weren't with us uh, last week, we're doing a, a short sermon series on our church's core values. And so, uh, the hope in that is um, that we could um, communicate kind of what we want our church to be marked by, uh, what we want our church to display, uh, what, our, what we want our church to be about. And so... Um, Last week, we have core, uh, five core values, and last week, uh, Pastor Dave got up and talked about worship and It was excellent and I really encourage you to check that out if you haven 't gotten to um, and this morning i 'm going to be talking about teaching and then we have three other core values, and that 's um, prayer and service and community so that 's what we 're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks uh, and again, if you 're new, we hope that you can get to know us a little bit and if you 're not new and you 've heard these before, we hope this is a friendly reminder. Um, an encouragement to continue on in what we hope to do here at Maranatha. Um, so, this morning, I'm going to be in the second letter to Timothy. So, if you want to start opening your Bibles, uh, if you're using a Bible in the pew, it's uh, on page 936. Uh, and before we stand and read, I just want to give you a quick exhortation uh, or, or kind of summarize the exhortation from Paul to Timothy in this letter. Um, and it's really an encouragement. To stand firm in his conviction that the scriptures are true, and that they will prevail, admits difficulty. And that's kind of my uh, exhortation this morning to our church, to you, um, is that we need that conviction as well. We need to have that conviction of the truth because we need equipped uh, for the difficult times that we find ourselves in. Right? We need equipping to know how best to fulfill God's calling on our life. And this, again, is why teaching is a core value here. Because we both believe that there is something to teach, right? And we need taught and equipped to fulfill God's uh, mission in our lives. So I have three points for us this morning after we read the text. Um, first, Scripture is the authoritative standard in our teaching and our equipping here. I'll say that one more time. Scripture is the authoritative standard in are uh, teaching and equipping. Uh, second point, effective teaching and equipping happens through real relationships and real discipleship. Say that one more time. Effective teaching and equipping, fruitful teaching, happens through real relationships and real discipleship. And finally, third point, the end of our teaching, the hope, the goal, is that we would be equipped for good works. That we would be equipped for good works. Works so if you would and if you're able, stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are in Second um, Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful uh, to gather together We're so thankful for your grace that brings us together. And we're so thankful that we can trust your faithfulness to us this morning. And we pray that um, this sermon and this word would be helpful and that would encourage us um, and help us uh, see the need of this conviction and that it would help equip us for what you have for us today. I pray uh, that this would be helpful and encouraging and challenging uh, for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so because we're kind of jumping in uh, in the middle of a letter, got to provide some context, um, which is always helpful in teaching, right? You need some context to know what's going on or you really could say anything with the scriptures. And so this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who is a close friend and laborer in the gospel. Paul most likely wrote this in prison, waiting for his uh, death in Rome. So if we're thinking about kind of the timeline of the Bible, Um, this would have been after the book of Acts. So we ended the book of Acts with Paul in prison in Rome, um, but then he leaves and he goes back to prison in Rome um, and is imprisoned and then eventually killed. It is a very personal letter um, with a lot of personal exhortations and encouragements, uh, but one we can find uh, helpful truths today. Um, I think chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 really sums up the letter pretty well when Paul encourages Timothy To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in him, uh, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Again, so we're picking up right in the middle of chapter three, um, and Paul has just reminded Timothy of the difficult times that are coming. So that's what he's—he's encouraging Timothy, he's exhorting him because difficult times are coming due to difficult people who oppose the truth. So that's kind of where we're jumping in. So I think 14 will be highlighted up there. Um, chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. Again, Paul is referring to Timothy, and he's contrasting Timothy with people referenced early in the chapter, chapter the difficult people, who he describes as lovers of self. Right. So last week we talked about worship, worshiping and all of our lives are worship. Uh, these people are worshipers of self, Right? And a host of other things which aren't God. Uh, He also characterized them as people that are always learning, but never able to arrive at the truth. Always learning, but never able to arrive. Whereas, right, so, but as for you, right, so he's contrasting. So, whereas Timothy, on the other hand, has learned and come to conviction. He's learned and come to belief. And Paul, we see, then links the conviction that Timothy has to whom he learned it from, right? Right? Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. And Paul is, at minimum, referencing himself here, uh, and he could also be referencing his grandmother Lois and mother Eunice that we'll see here in the next verse. Uh, In verse 15, And how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In this letter, we learn a little bit about Timothy, um, that his faith, uh, it kind of comes from his uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. right? And we see here that he was brought up in the faith as a child. And we know he was brought up by being acquainted with the scriptures. He was taught the scriptures and so we see that the word writings there, this, isn't, this word in the New Testament isn't used a whole lot, um, but we see Paul kind of talk about it a little bit more in verse 16 or describe um, what he's talking about as Scripture, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. That word is actually used 51 times in the New Testament, um, and, only, and of the 51 times, only one time is not referring uh, to the Old Testament. So all of it would be referring to what we would see as the Old Testament today, so the the law, of the, uh, the law of Moses, and the Prophets. So that's what he's talking about, right? And the only other time, it's, uh, Peter use it in, uses it to describe Paul's writings, actually. So Paul, in referring to the Old Testament, uh, is saying it will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we see Paul connecting uh, the Old Testament with our preparation for salvation, validating the importance of the Old Testament Scriptures Right and how we know and understand our salvation. So moving on to verse 16, a very popular verse that lots of us have heard. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul goes on, right? He's describing the source of Scripture. Where does it come from? It comes from God. So that's the conviction in this text. It's inspired by God, right? Just as God breathed the world into existence, This scripture is breathed out by him, and it's all useful, all of it. It's profitable in training, equipping, maturing, and raising in righteousness. And then we kind of close out here in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scriptures bring us to maturity. They equip us for action, right? And that's the end, that they equip us to fulfill God's calling on our lives. We're going to have three points this morning we'll walk through. First point, Scripture is the authoritative standard in our teaching and equipping. It's the authoritative standard. It's our highest measure of truth. And again, we see that in verse 16, that it's been breathed out by God. And because Scripture comes from God, and our, our God is the highest authority, therefore His Word is our highest authority and standard for which we govern our lives. We also see this in the way Paul references God's word throughout the whole letter. So the whole letter, he uh, references God's word with the truth. So in in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul charges Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Right, The words are our guide and standard to follow. In multiple instances, the word of God is referenced as the truth. Chapter 2, verse 15, Paul charges Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth. In verse 17, two men have swerved from the truth, and it's leading to ungodliness. Uh, Further on that chapter, Paul links both repentance and a recovery of sound thinking with a knowledge of the truth. And in chapter 3, again, we see uh, men who oppose the truth, and it's associated with corruption in mind. So what is Scripture? Right? It's not just a list of facts and historical narratives, although Scripture has those things. Scripture contains propositional truths, judgments, and commands that necessitate or demand a response. Let me say that again. Scripture contains propositional truths, judgments, and commands that necessitate or ne- demand a response. Specifically, in our text this morning, in regards to salvation righteousness, and good works. Let me give you an example. In the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 17, uh, at Jesus' start of his ministry, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right. This is a command. There's a command here to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's not. Right. And if, it re- if this reality is so, According to Scripture, it necessitates a response. It demands a response, which is repentance, right? If this reality isn't so, then that doesn't follow, right? So I think a thoughtful response to this would be well, what exactly do you mean, or does the Bible mean, by the kingdom of heaven? And what do you mean by repentance? And by what standard and authority do you judge or determine this? And that there lies the conviction of Paul. In Timothy, in this chapter, that God has spoken. He has revealed um, this word, and it is our standard for teaching and training in righteousness. Right? That's the conviction that they hold, and that's the conviction of this church, and fundamentally is going to guide the way that we teach. So, for example, because we believe that God has spoken, we believe it's our job to teach what the text says, not our own opinions. And that is why context, grammar, translations are so important because we believe the original words of the author and his intent to be the very words of God. And that's why you'll see us primarily preach through books of the Bible as opposed to topical sermons. So when we try to define words and interpret passages like kingdom of heaven and repentance, we will use other scripture to help guide our understanding and interpretation of the text, right? Because we believe all of Scripture is God-breathed. So we're not going to go to another source to figure out uh, what the definition of heaven is or the definition of repentance and then use that uh, to determine or interpret the Bible, right? That would be going to some other standard. We're going to go—so if we run into a difficult text— we're going to go to a clearer text in the Scriptures to help us define um, the context of the word or what it, how it can be used in the difficult passage. To quote one of my favorite podcasts, what you believe about the Scripture really is the dividing line. Right, Most sex and denominational distinctives um, come down to what you believe about the Scriptures and whether or not it's the highest authority in truth and godliness. So, Take an example, Catholicism and Mormonism both claim Christianity, and both claim the Bible to be an authority, but both have other authorities and standards outside of the Scripture that guide their interpretation and application of the text. And because of this, there are great differences in our understanding of the nature of God, of the nature of salvation, of the nature of righteousness, and of good works. Right, And that's why there's large distinctions. That's the root. The root cause is what we believe about the scriptures. But your um, belief in a standard of reality uh, or a standard in which to govern your life is not a conviction limited to religion or spiritual matters. Everyone has an authoritative standard at which they base their life of. Everybody. There's no neutrality when it comes to this. And I think one of the biggest lies that we need to be aware of as we live in this culture is the belief that you can claim a neutrality or a neutral position when it comes to um, how you believe the world works and how you conduct your life, right? And it's typically used in such a way to dismiss religious conviction as some kind of radical or fanatical way of thinking, as if, again, that there's some neutral position that is not dependent upon a set of beliefs But there's no such thing. Everyone has a conviction that is dependent upon a belief or a worldview of the nature of reality and how they live in the response to this. So that's an encouragement to you this morning to not get defensive in situations like that. Everybody has a worldview. That's not unique to Christianity. And this is fundamental to the nature of teaching. The idea of teaching presupposes that there is something to teach that there is some standard of truth that is being transmitted, right? That there exists some ignorance or lack or gap of knowledge that can be changed or informed by new information, by teaching. If we are always learning but never coming to a knowledge, uh, then teaching is somewhat of a meaningless term and activity. But the moment we define meaning, the moment we define that, we are claiming an existence of standards. So again, you know, we are in difficult times just like Timothy, when we um, are in, we are when we think through issues like this in our culture, right? There are propositions and claims about lots of things: the nature of love, the nature of sin, what it means to be a man or a woman, what is good, true, right, and beautiful, and the question that we should be thinking to ourselves is: by what standard and authority are we to judge these issues? And the conviction of the apostles and the conviction of this church is that God has spoken in these scriptures and that they are the authority and standard to which we are to judge, to the way we are to conduct or understand the world around us. The last point, um, on uh, kind of sub-point here. Um, the conviction, right, th- this conviction that God's word is true, right, and the authority is not something you can obtain through something like the scientific method, right? If I would define that, um, it's a process of proving something observable or measurable um, that's material, right? That's what the scientific method is, right? And, we can, and the scientific method is really helpful in, in validating lots of things, right? Uh, explicitly, things like the transmission um, and the translation of this text, Right? The scientific method can help us um, see that the words that um, we have here were actually the words that the apostles spoke. Right? There's lots of resources um, that have used the scientific method to come to that conclusion that we can have great faith that these are the words that the apostles actually spoke. But the scientific method cannot prove that the words the apostles spoke are actually the words of God. Right? I want to encourage you this morning, this is not a design flaw in Christianity. This is a design intent. Not all knowledge is obtained through observable material means. According to the scripture, what is seen was actually made out of things, um, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, right? That there is immaterial, God is immaterial, the conviction that God's words are true and that salvation is through Christ alone is something that God gives. It's something that he gives. It is not something we obtain through our grasping and our own self-sufficiency. It's by faith, not by sight. And that glorifies not man, but God who gives and who saves. So this morning, the exhortation for maybe some of us who struggle with doubt when it comes to this being God's word, right? the encouragement is not for you to try to figure it out Right? And material means the encouragement from the scriptures to come and see. The encouragement, the encouragement of the scriptures is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? This is an act of faith, and it's not faith in some ridiculous claims. Right? It's not unreasonable, but it does um, make you rely not on yourself, right, but on God who gives, which is the difficulty in faith. And so the exhortation this morning for those that do believe this, right, to that do hold this conviction, the exhortation for you this morning is for one of humility and gentleness, right? That we don't brow people, we browbeat people with this knowledge because everything you have, you've received. Everything that you have, you've received as a gift from God. Moving on to kind of our second point this morning. It's a little bit shorter. Effective teaching and equipping happens through real relationships and real discipleship. Let me say that one more time. Effective teaching and equipping happens through real relationships and real discipleship. So in verse 14, we see this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. We see again Paul connecting the conviction that Timothy has developed with whom he received it from, from whom he learned it from. And this is intended to be a source of encouragement right, and strength for Timothy to stand firm right, in his place. Again, Paul's referencing his own relationship with Timothy here, where Paul is the leader, the father figure, the example, the authority in, this, in Timothy's life. And we see this throughout the letter. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul addresses the letter to Timothy, my beloved child. Right? We see both the authority and the care of Paul here. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul remembers Timothy constantly in his prayers night and day. We see that Paul is invested in the welfare of of Timothy. Right? In verse 4, he longs to see Timothy that he may be filled with joy. Uh, so we see that Paul enjoys Timothy. We see there's a connection, a real relationship there. In chapter 3, verse 10, again, in contrast to the, the lovers of the world, he says, You, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So he's a reminding and encouraging Timothy. With his own example as a testimony of the truth. Right? And the book of Hebrews sums this up pretty well in chapter 13. It says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we learn, we learn and develop lasting conviction and maturity through tangible, real examples to follow. Right? And this is so important right now in our culture and our age with technology, right, we are inundated with lots and lots and lots of information, lots of teaching, lots of data, right, and it comes from a multitude of sources, right, and we lose that connection, we lose that connection, which I would say weakens, right, real uh, trust and, and, and conviction of what is true when that connection is lost. I found this quote really convicting along these lines, it's from the book, uh, it's called It's Good to Be a Man, and he's talking specifically of learning how to become a man, but I think it's universally applicable for us today. He says this, Sonship is imitative. It's not something learned from afar, but something learned by participation in another man's life. So it cannot be picked up from YouTube, or from blogs, or from books. It must be absorbed through actively partaking in the life of the man whose son you wish to be, right? So real relationship, real discipleship is where learn, like real deep conviction and deep loyalties are forged, maintained, and needed to stand firm, right? So that's why the life and character of teachers and authorities is so important because it's a testimony and evidence of the truth, which is so influential in the development of conviction, Right and that's why there are qualifications set in place for elders, deacons, teachers in the church right that are laid out in scripture, laid out in uh, First Timothy and Titus. Their lives are to be a testimony to the validity of the truth. We see in this text also this morning the significant importance of parents and grandparents and family in the raising up of children in the faith. We see that in verse fifteen and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Again, Timothy's grandmother and mother raised Timothy in the faith through the Scriptures, through acquainting him with the Scriptures, through teaching the Scriptures. Parents, it's our job to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we do this fundamentally by acquainting our children with the Scriptures. It's really important. Our abdication in this role, our not doing this, is not gonna stop the development of conviction in our children, right? It's just not gonna be of the scriptures, right? They will develop convictions, they will develop truths, but they won't be uh, that of the scripture, that of the truth. Our job is not only to equip our children to be self sufficient so that they can take care of themselves one day, but our main hope and desire for our children should be that they too would be children of God. And that comes not through browbeating discipline but through mild, kind, and affectionate nourishment in the Scriptures, trusting in God's faithfulness and promises. So again, here at Maranatha, we try to incorporate teaching and, and more things than just on the sermon at, on Sundays, right? So we hope teaching is incorporated in our community groups. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, that's where we can go and, and talk about the text and teach one another there's, there's teaching incorporated with the men's and the women's um, discipleship cohorts, which I'd encourage you to check out. Uh, again, Kyle's teaching a class, um, and there's teaching in our student ministry. Um, we believe the importance and the value of teaching, and so that's why it's incorporated in many of the things that we do. And hopefully, this relational dynamic that I'm talking about is happening in those areas where we're much closer Last point um, for today, the end, the goal of equipping is good works. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? So there is a goal in teaching and training. There is an end uh, for the Christian that he may be complete, that he may be mature. And that maturity is visible. It's supposed to be tangible. It should look like something. For example, mature fruits and vegetables look and taste good, right? And they're fit for cooking, for eating, for sharing, right? The athlete is coached, he's he practices, he trains and labors to eventually be fit for performance. Children are nourished and raised to eventually become adults ready to be sent off. Similarly, the Christian Christian man and woman in Christ is born again into a new creation, into a new humanity, and then they are raised up to maturity, that they might be God's workmanship, his vessel, a picture of his glorious grace and mercy. Two things um, as encouragement as we leave this morning. Um, again, as we look into the Scripture, uh, it makes, makes us both wise for salvation right and it prepares us for every good work so both both things wise for salvation and prepares us for every good work right so the scripture contains a proclamation and announcement of good news right that when you trust in Jesus Christ your sins can be forgiven washed away and you can have peace with God the favor and assurance of blessing and provision that was Christ's is yours by faith in him. And I really want you and encourage you to think about that this morning. Put aside all your current circumstances. In Christ, you are favored. You are favored by God. So this morning, hope in him. Take courage and wait for him. Right, Your hope and your encouragement this morning that God is going to be for you today and provide for you should not be on how well you performed Earlier in the week, or last in two weeks, or last night, it should be dependent on your trust and faith in Christ. That's your hope walking out of here that God is for you and will provide for you and will be there. The assurance is through the work of another, not your good works, right? So that's why we can never mix the two, right? We do not do good works to obtain favor, we are favored and charged to go and display this favor through good works. Just a couple uh, texts as we leave. Uh, This is from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, In the letter today, chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, in chapter 2, verse 21, "...therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, Ready for every good work. So again, this morning, if you are in Christ, you have been called to good works. You have been called. Right? And I think we can easily over-spiritualize this idea of calling and minimize what God has for you today. Right? If we were to take two texts as examples, 1 Timothy 4.4, everything created by God is good... And can be made holy by faith and prayer, as well as the parable of the talents, the idea that we've been given something, you've been given something to provide a return. The call this morning for us is to look at what God has given us today and see how can I display the glorious grace and favor that God has given me today. How can I display that favor? How can I display it in my job? How can I display it in my home, in my school? In my relationships, how can I show the world that I am favored by God? How can I provide a return on what God has given me and make something beautiful out of it? Those who are faithful with little are given more, not less. And those that are unfaithful with little, even what they have uh, is taken away. So how can we be better equipped to glorify God in every work? Through teaching. Right through uh, through teaching um, and equipping uh, through the scriptures. So that's why this is a, a value of our church. So let's pray. God, we are so grateful again uh, for your favor. We're so grateful uh, that in Christ um, we can trust that you're here with us, and we can trust your provision as we leave. And we're also thankful for the calling that you've given us. God, I pray that you would convict this body, that they have been called to good works, that they were saved, not to sit around, they were saved, Lord, um, to display your glory to the world. And I pray that we can leave encouraged by that this morning and this afternoon. Just In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.